Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today announcing, proclaiming, praising you that we are complete in Christ and that we are, we are those who you have saved. We are justified. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified. It is a matter of fact and we're thankful. Father, may May we live today in worship, remembering that we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need in Christ. And without Him, we have nothing. We pray all these things in His name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. We, uh, a couple of weeks ago, have looked at, and we've looked at often, uh, we're all very well aware of the instruction that's given to elders, um, instruction that's given to elders to to watch out for souls. We are to we are to um, watch out for our own souls and then the souls of the of the of the purchased possession of God Himself, for which He shed His blood to redeem to Himself, and that's our job and so there's an issue that that i think well we want to talk about and um i want you to know that uh it's it, it can be a sensitive topic and um we recognize that uh and i want you also to know that no one is is being targeted in this discussion so if you sitting here or you listening at home think that we're I'm targeting you specifically. That's not true. Um, this is a discussion we believe is important for us to have as a church family. Uh, the past couple of weeks at Grace Fellowship Church, we have actually uh, experienced people um, having uh, confirmed COVID-19, actually having confirmed cases of this of this thing called COVID-19. We have had other, probably multiple, non-confirmed cases of, of COVID-19. There may be people right now that have that, that haven't taken a test to confirm that. So that is part of what's happening in the in the life of this church recently that we really haven't um, had much of. And, and as you can look around and see, if you if you do look around and see it, it's, it's led to a smaller attendance even today uh, for this church. Uh, it has it has led to a smaller attendance in our gatherings, and what what we really want to to have you to consider, what we are considering, what we want us to talk about this morning briefly is, should it change the attendance at our gatherings? And when I say that, I wouldn't jump to a conclusion one way or the other. Um, I, I think it's fair to have this discussion and consider this, but the question is, should it should it lead to? You know, COVID is COVID nineteen is different than other illnesses, um, the and yet it's called SARS CoV two because it's it's in the same family as SARS the original SARS which in two thousand and three was a um, what SARS a severe acute respiratory syndrome SARS that's what it is severe acute respiratory syndrome and it, the first one was in two thousand three and now we have this one in two thousand that's why it's called COVID nineteen SARS two. Okay, so it's different in, in how it manifests, and yet it's 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 a it's a virus. It's what it is. It's a virus, and this particular virus has something very different about it. It's certainly different in the way it manifests, but different in that it has the best marketing department ever. This is being marketed in a way that no disease in our lifetimes ever been marketed. Ever have we read so many things? And been inundated, and never. Now, uh, again, even when the Spanish flu came, which none of us were alive for uh, at, at this point, yeah, nobody in here would be alive for that. So, th- even that wasn't dealt with in the same way this has been dealt with from the government and from the media and from what we've been inundated with as far as data and information. I mean, look, we're we're closing businesses, we're closing schools, we're, we're, they're attempting to shut down churches. This whole discussion about uh, essential and non-essential has come into the, it's, it's words that we really didn't talk about two years ago. What was an essential business versus a non-essential business? I mean, there were times I was talking about that is the, that is the conversation of our, of our, of this era. 
um, definition of essential, absolutely necessary, extremely important. Okay, so is it essential or non-essential is the discussion. Are these things essential? What's an essential business? What's a non-essential business? What's, what's absolutely necessary and extremely important? We just saw a Supreme Court ruling just here last week. 5-4 decision that the, the bans on churches in New York were seen unconstitutional. Uh, that, that even though Governor Cuomo says those are non-essential, um, our Constitution allows for religious gatherings. The, the question that, that we want us to consider, beloved, is, is how essential is church for us and our families? How essential is church for us and our families? For, for what should we not gather? For what reasons should we not gather? And I'm not talking about the whole church. I'm talking about your family, you, me. Why should we or should we not gather? What is, how essential is this? There's this presupposition that most of us deal with. And the presupposition is that to love your neighbor is to not get them physically ill. That there's a a presupposition that it is unloving to expose other people to an illness that you might have. That's a presupposition that most people have that that loving your neighbor means to protect their physical health possibly possibly true but is not loving your neighbor especially for christians do we not have an obligation to to care for one another's spiritual health is that not part of loving your neighbor? I mean, it's a presupposition that if I'm sick and I, I expose Natalie to that, I might make her physically ill, and somehow that's something that's not loving her. I, I'm not even sure that's true. Unless my intention is, ooh, I can't wait to get Natalie sick. Let me see if I can't make her sick with my illness. But if I presuppose that, that her spiritual health is every bit as important, if not more important than her physical health, then I will gather with her. Our spiritual health of our, of our own selves and our families and of one another. And the reason I, we think this is something to be talked about is this doesn't appear to be slowing down or stopping. This being this illness and or how we are supposed to as a culture interact with illness. We're supposed to wear masks now, and we're supposed to social distance, and, and all the experts are telling us this will go well into 2021. And, and so, I have no idea. I don't know the future, but it seems like we're going to keep catching illnesses, and, and we're going to have opportunities to consider how should we really practically live out what determines essential? What 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 is the what is the determining factor of whether I go to work, or whether I go to the grocery store, or whether I come to church? Because if I'm willing to go through the drive-through at McDonald's and expose that that employee to my to my illness, but I'm unwilling to come here and expose you to it, that doesn't seem very consistent. We're bringing this up because because I think I think Tyler said it something like this: We better be we should be getting prepared for if we actually do come in contact with an illness that actually kills a large percentage of the population that actually would live its way out. And as Christians, how are we then to function with one another and with the world around us? We, we, should be, we should be ready to love our neighbors when there are real or fabricated 
deadly illnesses. Whether they're real or fabricated, we, Christians, should be prepared to love one another in those circumstances. And, and we should think right now, does that mean isolation is how I love you if I'm sick? I realize this steps on toes. I'm not intending to. I'm intending to get us to think about why we make the decisions we make concerning our attendance at something as essential as church. Something as absolutely necessary is our spiritual growth and sustenance. It's vital. There's some biblical direction that we could look at. We talked about this yesterday, though. If you try to go to the Scriptures and, and, and get a template that will tell us exactly how to interact, look, we have quarantining, quarantining in the Scriptures for leprosy, for, for a, a specific disease that was, that was spreading and, and part of the, the uncleanliness in the, in the nation of Israel. And so those, those, those leprous people were, were to be set aside and, and quarantined. A fairly serious disease. We've talked about leprosy before and, the, and what happens with leprosy. But, but we don't see quarantining for all illness. We, we, see, we actually see in the New Testament, we see Jesus and the apostles interacting with sick people regularly. We see, no, we see nothing. We see nothing in the negative about gathering together and we see lots in the positive about gathering together. We, we, see, we see clear, positive commands to gather together in the book of Hebrews and throughout the New Testament epistles. We don't see any mention of don't gather when you're ill. Don't give each other a, an illness. Really to ask ourselves individually and then, and then collectively we can discuss what are our presuppositions about illness and how we interact with others and how were they formed and informed? And how are they being formed and informed today? As when you turn on the news, when you live in this world, you can't see anything but illness, illness, pandemic, pandemic. Right? That's what you that's the that's the water we're swimming in. And so our, our thoughts are being formed and informed ongoingly. And probably won't change in the any time in the near future really is it unloving is it unloving to not avoid the brethren when you're sick is it unloving to bring your illness around others or and or maybe not mutually exclusive but and or is it unloving to avoid the brethren when you're sick so, so for me personally, just me, this guy right here, if you're ill, Callie, and if you have something that I might catch, and you might have it for the next month, my to love me would be to gather with me. Me personally. Avoiding me doesn't minister to me. Because I'm not afraid of the illness. I'm not afraid of getting sick. I know that's part of the fall. Now, what I didn't say is you all have to think like that necessarily. But that is a viable way of thinking. That is a biblical way of thinking. That is my, my conscience is bound by, by the Scriptures and by the Spirit of God. That I desire to be with you all. I didn't say if you're not here, you don't desire to be with anybody. Don't listen to what I'm not saying. Listen to what I am saying that we can be considering these things. We, elders, believe that the spiritual health of God's people, and by extension our children, is more important than physical health. What I didn't say was physical health is not important. What I did say is we believe, as elders, that the spiritual health of the brethren, and by extension their children, is more important than the physical health.
Pastor Nick texts me something like this. This is my words, not his, but it got me to thinking. Salvation and preservation of souls is of primary importance. Salvation and preservation of souls is of primary importance. Not the salvation and preservation of bodies. That's not of primary importance. It is important. It's not of primary importance. The preservation and salvation of souls, which is what we do here. This is God's design. This is grace in our life. The, the gospel is proclaimed unto salvation, and for God's people, we are fed. And, and this is going to be an ongoing conversation I'm, I'm, we're thinking. It appears. And so let's consider how we view love thy neighbor. What is our reason for doing what we do? As we interact when we have something wrong with our physical bodies that someone else might get from being around us. Why do we do what we do? And how do we think about the people that come around us? In other words, are we those that, how dare you would come near me when you have an illness? Okay, why? Why do we think that way if we think that way? We, 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 we need to prepare ourselves for how we think about these things. Even if COVID gets no worse and there's not another disease in 2021, we still will have flus and sicknesses ongoing forever, won't we? It's part of the human condition. Okay. I'm sure maybe we'll have more conversation about that later. So we're in the book of Acts, chapter 21 today. Acts chapter 21. And remember, Paul has now traveled back to Jerusalem uh, to bring the offering. He's got his traveling party of the brethren from Galatia and Asia and, and Achaia and Macedonia. And they're bringing this offering back to the, to the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, he got back in time to, uh, to, to celebrate Pentecost. Remember, he's, he's, um, he's in the middle of, or he just took on a, uh, a, a purification process, joining those four men who have the Nazarite vow. Uh, it's during the, the Pentecost and then the Feast of Weeks is why they're there. Well, there's a, remember, there's a, there's going to be a large crowd there. There's, there's upwards of a million, probably, historians would say, people in Jerusalem at these festivals. So there's lots of people in Jerusalem. And, and we'll see the Jews from Ephesus and Asia, Asia, Galatia. Those Jews come and the Judean Jews that live there all the time. They're there as well. And they're there for this big, uh, this big festival. And, and they're, they're in this, this seven days of purification that he's in or it's in the Feast of the Weeks as we'll see. So uh, let's stand and I will read verses 27 through 36. Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 36. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stood up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people cried 
followed, crying out, away with him. You may be seated. The title of today's sermon, Paul's Providential Persecution Performed by Pious Perpetrators. And Pastor Nick texted me yesterday and suggested I change the title. But actually this was a thought out title that has meaning. And this morning uh, I was made aware by another brother that uh, the title of the sermon was a distraction. So let me make it not a distraction. Uh, the title, Providential persecution. God's providential plan as prophesied by Agabus for Paul's life is that he would be persecuted. He would be arrested and he would be handed over to the Gentiles. So we have to remember always as we read the word of God and as we're looking at this particular happening, Paul's persecution was God's plan. It was, it was providential persecution. It was God's design and promise and prophecy of what was going to happen to Paul's life. And, and, and remember, all persecution is providential, even ours. Even if we were to receive it. So there's application for us. If we receive persecution as we'll look at more but if we if we are to be persecuted for his name's sake that is promised to us is it not it is indeed so paul's providential persecution this was god's promise and plan for his life performed by pious perpetrators it was carried out by very religious Jews that were at the temple for a religious holiday. Very religious people were carrying out this persecution. And they were perpetrators. Perpetrators. What the word actually means is a person who carries out harmful, illegal, or immoral acts. So these people were carrying out an immoral, harmful act. So the, they were perpetrators. So God, providential, Paul's providential persecution, it was promised by God, prophesied by God, was being carried out by very religious people who were, who were carrying out an illegal or harmful or immoral act for which they will be judged or have been judged. God's providence and man's responsibility, all right here in front of us. And, and this happens now. This happens now. What we're going to look at today, maybe not unto death, although some places in the world people are actually being, Christians are actually being put to death. But, but certainly with the same heart that would put people to death, we see right now in the world we live in, this, this persecution of God's people in a social media platform where the mob just piles on and wants to kill or destroy someone. And we ought not, we ought not be participating in that. We ought not be those perpetrators, those pious perpetrators of persecution on God's people. We ought not join the mob to attack God's people without full information, without right information. And we can be thankful for any persecution that we receive for Christ's sake. And be thankful for the protection that we receive from God inside of that. So, before we look specifically at these verses, we see that, that the, the, the persecution of God's people was a recurring theme in Jerusalem. At this very site, we have seen persecution happening to, to Christians. In Acts 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, 
and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So the same people, maybe not the exact same people, but some of the same people, those from outside of Jerusalem, the Jews that had come back were, were disputing with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who have who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses that Moses delivered to us. So we see the same thing happening there. Stephen, there was false witnesses. The mob got together and they had Stephen eventually stoned. Jesus himself was treated in this very same place on the on the Temple Mount, right there, right there near uh, Fort Antonio, Antonia. Uh, Matthew 26, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribe and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking, were seeking false testimony against Jesus. They might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So, so these false witnesses, this mob mentality, attacking of God's sent one, the Messiah. And again, this is what Jesus had promised. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. This is what he says to us. This is what's promised. Luke, Luke 6.22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for their fathers did to the prophets. Look, the Jews did it to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, they did it to Jesus. They did it to Stephen. They did it eventually to all the apostles. And they're going to do it to us, not the Jews necessarily, but oftentimes pious perpetrators will. We're going to be persecuted. And, we should, and, and when we are, we should be joyful. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Listen, just like Jesus, Christians, Paul, Stephen, but Paul in this example, and, and us, you're going to be hated by the world because of your faith. And and they're going to persecute you. Now some will keep your word. Some will believe on Christ. But many will hate you for your faith. God's promise, specifically to Agab- through Agabus to Paul, was persecution. Hatred for Christ's sake. This is what Paul knew, he believed, and he trusted in. And so should we. All right. In the text. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed. So either the seven days of purification that Paul was in the middle of with the four men who took the Nazarite vow or the seven days of the uh, Feast of Weeks. Either way, when, when that time was almost up, the Jews from Asia... The Jews from Asia, so we're going to see in a little bit, they knew Trophimus, they were from Ephesus. Remember, from your maps before, Asia is this area in the middle here where the seven churches are. That's where Ephesus is located. That's where Paul had just spent three years doing ministry. So those Jews maybe even rode back with him on the boat back for Pentecost and for this big festival. They were the ones that, that were from, from, from Asia. They said... They saw him, Paul, in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and laid laid hands on him. So, I guess we'll look at this now. On this handout you picked up today, if you look uh, the side that has writing on the left-hand side, this is a picture of the Temple Mount. This This is Herod's temple. In the middle, you see... 
the, the actual temple where you have uh, the first entry point. If you turn it over, you can see is the, the, there's a gate and then there's the court of women. And then there's the court of Israel. Then there's the uh, the court of the, the Gentiles. Uh, I'm sorry, the court of Israel. Then you have the altar in the holy place. So, so what we have here is out here in the court of the Gentiles, and then in here is is where the Israelites can go. And so inside of there is where they saw Paul. Paul's inside with the other Jews, probably inside of even the court of women. He's in the court of Israel, and he's in there with all the other Jews. And, and they, they, they see him in there. And again, these are, these are the ones from, from Ephesus, again, because they know Trophimus. They remember, remember that, that Paul had been in Ephesus, and what had he done in the very synagogues they were from? He spent three months there, remember? He, they, the, the, uh, the, the lay leader of that, of that synagogue was converted. They ran him out, and then he went to the hall of Tyrannus, where he spent the next two and a half years doing ministry. They saw him. They saw him inside of this temple, this guy who had been, who had been stirring up Christianity in their territory, in their region. And they grabbed Paul, and they said, Men of Israel, help. Judean Jews, if you really love God, if you really care about God's holiness and His ways, you want to listen to what we're about to tell you about this guy, Paul. And you must come and help us deal with him. Men of Israel, you Judean Jews, we're from over there in Asia. But we're here worshiping. We're Jews. This guy right here, we've seen him. We know him. You better listen to us. And if you care about God at all, you'll help us. This, this is the way pious perpetrators to this day get other people to come alongside them to try to destroy someone. If you care about God at all, says the, the online discernment blogger, says the, says the self-appointed apologetics minister, if you care about God, you'll join me in destroying this man. Men of Israel, help. They appeal to these men of Israel, and they're going to appeal about their love of God and His holiness as a reason to come alongside them and help destroy this man, Paul. So, these Ephesian Jews in Jerusalem for the religious holy day, they grab Paul, the apostle, this guy who they'd seen for three years converting Jews and Gentiles to this thing called Christianity, teaching these Gentiles they didn't have, didn't have anything to do with the law, They, they start presenting trumped-up charges. Now, trumped-up means false. Untrue charges. That's what trumped-up charges mean. The etymology was somebody used to blow a trumpet, he'd bring people around by blowing the trumpet, and then he would deceive them. So a trumped-up charge is just a false charge. It's a lie. Nothing to do with President Trump, for those young ones who know the word Trump only that way. So, he says, by the way, what we can listen for here is don't be the one who makes up or listens to trumped up charges. Don't be the one who makes up or listens to trumped up charges of the brethren. Test the validity of claims. All right. They said, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere. Maybe slightly overstated. He is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. First, he's teaching against the Jews, is what they're saying. This guy, Paul, he's out there all over the place, all over the world, teaching against the Jews. This is completely false. Paul had a great love for the Jews. Paul was a Jew. 
Paul writes in Romans 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in me that, that the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul loved the Jews. He wasn't anywhere teaching against the Jews. It was a lie. It was a trumped-up charge to try to get the masses, the mob, to agree with these Ephesian Jews who wanted Paul destroyed. Then he says, teaching against the law. A side point here is the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of the harvest. It also had become, by this time, a celebration of the law. So at the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Pentecost, Jews believed, and still do, that is when the law was given by Moses at Mount Sinai. So at this very celebration they were at, the law was being highlighted. It was, it was being elevated. Okay, so Jewish law was being highlighted, and they say he's teaching against the law. It is true that Paul taught against the law as it pertains to Gentiles. It was true that he taught against Jewish custom as it pertained to Gentiles. But here was a guy that was in the middle of a purification process, had taken a Nazarite vow, and in this interim period between Judaism and the Christianity as we know it, was, was practicing many many practices of Judaism. So he, he wasn't teaching against the law. He was indeed. So there was a, a moniker of truth. There was a little bit of truth in that. For the Gentiles, he said the law was of no value and not necessary. But they exaggerated that. They trumped it up. They made up a lie. And then teaching against the temple. The holy place was of utmost importance, still is for Jews, I don't know if anybody else has been there. Honey, remember, remember the Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall is the nearest point, Jews believe, to where the temple was. And because the temple mount is now controlled by the Palestinians, Jews can't go into worship, so they get as close as they can to the spot where the temple would have been. Because it's a very important place. Because they believe that's where God dwells, and so that's where they went close to. Well, it was even a bigger deal in this time, and so claiming that he's teaching against the temple. Same thing that they had said about Jesus, same thing they had said about Stephen, that they were teaching against the temple. To speak against the temple would be the same as speaking against God. Temple, uh, on the bigger of the pictures, that would be item C. That That would be where the where the, the inside of the temple was. You would have, if you turn it over then, again, you have the, the court of the Gentiles, into the court of women, into the court of Israel, into the, court, into, the holy, into the court of priests, into the holy places. This was an area that was, and you can't speak against this place. Now, there's no evidence of these three things being true that they had just made claims. Teaching against the people, teaching against the law, and teaching against the temple. They weren't specific charges with, with proof. They were not egregious enough to incite the Judeans to do anything. And so they go even further in their exaggeration and lies. They, they, they go on to say that, that Paul is defying God's holy place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. He's even brought Greeks from the court of the Gentiles, which anybody could be in, he's even brought the Greeks into the temple and therefore has defiled the temple. Why did they make this charge? Well, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. Remember, Trophimus was one of the traveling party from Ephesus that was with Paul. And they had seen him that week in the city with Paul. So they then supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They just made it up. The word supposed 
Namizo, to think, to suppose, to presume, to assume, to regard something as presumably true without particular certainty. We see the word used in Matthew 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth, Jesus said. I've come to bring peace, but a sword. In other words, you're supposing wrongly. I won't go through the other ones. They supposed, look, Trovimus is with him. Obviously, he brought him into the temple, which defiled the temple, bring a Gentile into this place that is meant only for Jews. These defiled, dirty Gentile pigs you can't bring into these places. Now, they were wrong in their supposition. They were wrong, and how do we know they were wrong? Because Paul would never have taken Trophimus into the temple. He never would have brought him into the court of women or the court of Israel or the court of the priests. He never would have done that because he didn't want Trophimus to die, and he didn't want to die. There was... There were signs that that were posted on this little this little wall-like area, the little wall-like area that goes on the outside of the temple. It's item D on this one picture, the stone balustrade. There were signs on there that they've actually found. They found one in 1875 or something. They found another one in 1935. There were signs that were posted on there. And the sign said this, No man of alien race is to enter within the barricade that goes around the temple. And if anyone is taken in the act, let him know that he has himself to blame for the penalty of death that will follow. In other words, if any Gentile went inside of that stone gate around the temple, he would be immediately put to death. And the Romans supported this. No Gentile could go into the temple. So Paul had not taken Trophimus in there. But had he... That would be cause for these Judean Jews to be very, very angry because God's holy place was defiled by Gentiles. So, these trumped up charges, they're being yelled. The Ephesian Jews have grabbed Paul. They're yelling, men of Israel, help us. This guy right here, he's teaching against the people, against the law, against the temple, and he even brought a Greek into the temple. Lies. Lies that if true would have the Jews angry. So this creates this mob, this mindless group that are going to exact punishment. The blindless group like we see when a Black Lives Rally matter turns in, matters turns into burning of Minneapolis. It's a mob that doesn't even know what they're doing. They're just incited, they've been convinced of something, and now they're going to act upon it. It's the mob on social media who posts, who somebody starts talking about a brother, and they all jump in in the thread, and they make all these comments about what a, what a heretic and reprobate this brother is. They have no idea. This is what's created. This mob. This big mob. You've got hundreds of thousands. You've got this, this, however many people could fit in here at a time, this temple would be filled with Jews. And the Gentile court would be filled with Gentiles and, and, and other Jews. So these pious perpetrators proceed. Mob rule. Then all the city was stirred up. So these Ephesian Jews got all the city, all these Judean Jews stirred up. Keneo. It means to move, cause to move, shake of the head, stir up, start a riot. There was a riot that was starting. All of this mob collectively were shaking their head at this man, Paul. But by the lies that were being told by these Ephesians Jews. So they're all stirred up, they're all shaking their head in, 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 in disgust, and they all move against Paul. And they seize him, and they drag him out of the temple. They drag him out of the temple. They drag him down these steps and out of the temple into the Gentile courts to get him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. So the, they drag him out, and then they very piously shut the gates. What hypocrisy. They're going to beat him to death. And they don't want to be... And he's a Jew. They know he's a Jew. But they're claiming he did things against the Jews. They drag him out so they can beat him to death, but not in the temple because they don't want to defile the temple. 
They also drag him out. Possibly another reason, probable, is there's a horn of altars inside of the temple. And if and, and it was a place of sanctuary for a Jew. If a Jew could make it to the horn of altars, there was times in the Old Testament where they, they received sanctuary. Uh, Adinijah, he, he feared for his life at the hands of Solomon. He got to the, to, the, to the temple altar, the altar of horns it was called, and Solomon did not kill him. Another time, Joab did the same thing, but Solomon sent Benaiah to kill him anyway. So they dragged him out of there. They slam the doors behind him so they can kill him. And as they were seeking to kill him, verse 31, apakteno, to intentionally and knowingly cause someone's death, normally by violent means, with or without legal justification. With or without legal justification. These Judean Jews, these pious perpetrators had now been incited by these Ephesian Jews with a bunch of lies about Paul. They've now grabbed him. They've drug him out of the, the temple. They've slammed the gates behind him. And now they are going to kill him. He at once took the soldiers the centurions, ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating him. Tupto, to strike, to beat, to smite. They were. This is the same word we see about Jesus in, in Mark 15. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage. So, so based on these fallacious charges, these Jews have grabbed Paul, drug him out of the temple, slammed the gates behind him, and now are literally beating him with the intention of killing him. all for a bunch of lies, all because they've incited, they've been incited into this mob-like mentality for a bunch of things that weren't even true. Don't be those people. Brothers and sisters, don't be those that get incited against the brethren. You don't even know necessarily what's true. And even when that happens to us or you, be thankful. Be thankful for the persecution that you're receiving. I can assure you Paul was. Just like, just like had been done to his Lord, Jesus Christ, we see this very thing happening in the very same location to Paul. He's being drugged, dragged, and now beaten with the intention of killing him. And now we see God's providential plan and care for Paul. We're about to see God's providential care for Paul. All the city was stirred up. People ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were striking, they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions, ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts, because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldier because of the violence of the crowd for the people followed crying out away with him. This is exactly what Agabus had told Paul was going to happen, isn't it? It's exactly what happens. He was bound and he was handed over to the Gentiles. Exactly what... what Agabus had said would happen. And, and we want to set this picture, paint the scene. All Jerusalem was in confusion. So this was a, a mad scene. Tens of thousands of people, small group of Ephesian Jews, stir up the mob, the crowd, and now they're all grabbing him, dragging him out, beating him. And when, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune. The tribune. That word there is Kiliarchos. Kiliarchos. A Kiliarch or a Chiliarch is the commander of a thousand soldiers. The commander of a Roman cohort, a military tribunal. So, at the A in this picture, that would be Fort Antonia. This would be where the Roman soldiers would hang out. And Claudius Lysias, we see later, was the tribune or this Chiliarch, they would be in this this garrison, this fort, Fort Antonia, named after Mark Anthony. And they would look out from the towers to see what was going on down here. Because their job was to keep peace. Their job was to not have chaos. Their job was 
that the Jews could live their lives as a, as a territory controlled by Rome, but they couldn't get out of control. And so the Chiliarch, this guy, Julius Lysias, would have been up in, in that building, and they would have always been watching what was going on, especially at these big festivals with the tens of thousands of people in town. So, when word came to Claudius, the, the tribune, the guy in charge of this, this, this thousand soldier army that was supposed to keep the peace, when word came to him, he took, he, he at once took soldiers, soldiers mean soldiers, and centurions. Now a centurion, Hecatentarchus, was a commander of a hundred soldier unit. So at least 200, at least 200 soldiers and the commanders and Claudius Lysias came rushing, rushing down into the court of the Gentiles where Paul was being beaten to death, where this mob was, was having this melee. This chaotic event was happening. They come rushing down the steps to deal with it. Do you think they really were there because they cared about Paul? Of course not. There's a there's chaos ensuing, and 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 just like when Pontius Pilate didn't want the Jews to be uproaring too much, they he he did what they wanted and gave him Barabbas and crucified Jesus. Same thing. They don't care about Paul, but this is God's care for Paul. Paul is being beaten to death, but God's not done with him yet, is he? God's still going to send him to Rome. God's not done with Paul, so God is going to providentially care for Paul through these soldiers, 200 soldiers at least, come rushing down into this mob. Of course, they're armed. Of course, they run this place. And they go and they are going to help Paul. So so the tribune, Claudius Lysus, he came with this whole cadre of soldiers and centurions, and he arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. So in this crazy din of clamor and noise, he runs down and, and he says, arrest Paul. He arrests Paul and he's trying to ask Paul, why are they doing this to you? Who are you and why are they beating you to death? And as he, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. So while he's trying to find this out, can you imagine trying to adjudicate in the middle of this mob? you got people shouting over here, Hey, he's teaching against the temple. Hey, he teaches against Rome. Hey, he, 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 he blasphemes Jews. He blasphemes God. They're shouting and they're hollering. Claudius Lysias can't make any sense of it. So he arrests him and he says, You know what? He could not learn the facts because of the thoribos, the, the uproar, the din, the clamor, the noise. He ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So he says, You know what? Carry him back into the barracks amidst all these thousands of Jews wanting to kill him. The mob is out of control. Not even knowing why they're doing what they're doing, all they know is they want Paul dead. People arguing and shouting. This uproar, just like we had seen in Acts 19 in Ephesus. This mob is out of control, and again... Don't be part of the mob that's out of control in the internet thread, in the social media thread, calling for someone's head that you have no idea what you're talking about. There are people that need to hear this about us. There are people that are trying to destroy this church and me that have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm thankful for it. I praise God for it. And I praise God for his protection during it. And when he came, he, Paul, came to the steps. He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. The word bia, a strong destructive force. Con, uh, the word conveys physical violence. It's a word that's used in Acts 27 about the waves crashing. You have the force of this big mob that wants Paul dead. So the soldiers actually have to pick him up and carry him so that they can't get to him. This is, think about this. God is, is having Paul picked up and protected and carried to safety as a prisoner of the Roman cohort so he doesn't get beat to death by this angry mob. 
He came to the steps. He was actually carried by the soldier because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Arrow, to destroy, to do away with, to execute. Same word used, arrow, of Jesus by the masses back in, that Luke uses in Luke twenty three eighteen. But they all cried together, away with him, this man, and release to us Barabbas. Kill him, give us Barabbas. Same thing, Paul is hearing these words that were spoken of his Lord some 25 years earlier. He's hearing them say, destroy him. Crucify him, execute him, kill him. As he's being carried up in to safety. Paul was suffering just like God had promised he would. Just like Agabus had prophesied that he would. What a what a great blessing for Paul. Do you believe me? That is a great blessing for Paul. To be persecuted as he would be promised he'd be persecuted for the sake of Christ. What a, what, a, what a great blessing for Paul to be persecuted and then God's providential care for him. In not having him to be killed. In keeping him alive for the more ministry he had for him to do. You know how you'll know God's done with you doing ministry? When you die. And he will provide protection and care for us until that day. You know, it's funny. This is the final mention of Jerusalem in the book of Acts. So here's Jerusalem that has done this to Jesus. They've done this to Peter and John. They've done this to Stephen. Now they've done this to Paul. These Judean Jews who Christ had come to, rejecting the message of the Messiah and killing the prophets, killing God's sent people. Last mention you hear of them, and about 12 years later, Jerusalem and the temple destroyed forever. Judaism destroyed forever. All of this rebellion against God, against His people, God wipes Judaism and the temple and chases all of the Jews out of Jerusalem. A few go up to Masada in 73 AD, they're run out. No more persecution of God's people by the Jewish people, is there? Just a long history of their own persecution because of their rebellion against God. Closing thought. Paul's providential persecution performed by pious perpetrators has applications for us, beloved. May we never be those pious perpetrators against the brethren. Let's be warned. Let's be warned. Don't ever be those pious perpetrators against the brethren believing allegations that you have no knowledge of. Look, that's not to say, we, Joel Osteen is not judged by me, he's judged by the words he speaks. That's far different than somebody saying something about James White online and me jumping in the thread to jump on when I have no knowledge. Don't be that person. And may we be thankful for any providential persecution we receive. And thankful for God's protection that He provides us. Brothers and sisters, we have been, I have been, we have been attacked. I would argue for His name's sake, not because we're perfect. And look at this. God continues to protect us and care for us. And we can be thankful for that, can't we? And we should not be the people that turn around and do the same thing, ought we?
Paul's providential persecution performed by pious perpetrators has applications for us, beloved. May we never be those pious perpetrators against the brethren. And may we be thankful for any providential persecution we receive and God's protection that he provides us. Father, we thank you for your word again today. We thank you for the truths it tells us. We thank you for, for the clarity with which you show us your promises that include being hated, reviled, and persecuted. And Father, that you continue to care for us. And our hope is not in whether we be beaten or whether you, you bring us out of another situation, Father. Our hope is in believing and trusting you, knowing that you are for us, you have work for us to do, that you will keep us alive, you will sustain us until that work we have is done. Father, thank you for persecution. I thank you for the the perpetrators that bring about those things. I think of Judas and, and Pharaoh and these Jews in the temple. All of these things for your glory and for Christ's sake in whose name we pray. Amen.